0: That's What She Said is fueled by Gatorade, Gatorade's proven formula. Whatever path you take, greatness starts with G. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want, actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here, talking to me. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion,
1: and my dilemma is uh, finding enough time to do anything.
0: Okay, I have a couple quick follow-ups that are going to help me help you. Are you a natural procrastinator? Uh,
1: Yes and no. Uh, Yes, I am. I certainly have procrastination tendencies, but also I just have one of those... uh, I feel weird when I'm not working, and I have to right. remind myself that I am doing something productive. <laughs> when I feel that I'm not.
0: Okay, so you're not great at relaxing. You right. have a you have achievement culture issues. I guess that's it. Kind okay. Of, yeah. Are you currently engaging with video games at the same rate as you were a few months ago when you told Katie Nolan that all you did was play <sighs> whatever the farm one is or the animal <laughs> thing? Uh, uh, Animal Crossing. Yeah. I am doing
1: it less. Okay. But I'm still playing. I am still playing, yeah.
0: Well, I don't know that I'm the person to fix this problem because I know this problem well, but I am constantly demanding faster science on the whole cloning thing because I would like another person uh, just even, you know, half as capable uh, to do the things like folding laundry and such. Um, I also say, without fail, every Sunday, when I get the Sunday scaries thinking about not accomplishing enough before another work week, I say, I wish tomorrow was Sunday. I literally say that every Sunday. I wish tomorrow was Sunday. I always want an extra day. Um, But that being said, there are the usual tips I can give you. Um, A very carefully kept schedule that prevents you from wasting hours that could be productive. Um, An accountability partner with whom you share deadlines or other information to kind of keep yourself on track and prevent procrastination or wasting time doing meaningless things. Um, Sometimes I like to remind myself of the quote, how we spend our days is of course how we spend our lives. Um, And just remember how I want to spend the finite minutes of every day, which end up being the finite moments of our lifetime. Um, how disappointed to look back and say I spent hours of my life playing Angry Birds or scrolling TikTok or whatever. Um, and I know sometimes relaxing and shutting off your brain is necessary, and I still do sometimes. Uh, but as a workaholic, playaholic, overachiever um, who never thinks I'll have enough time to read all the books and go all the places and do all the things, um, that quote kind of is a good catch for me if I find myself spending too much time on my phone or things like that. Um So useful. But I would say the biggest thing and probably the root cause of your issues is not being able to say no. And I have had such a problem with this that I had a guest on this podcast to help me. If you're interested and you need some help in saying no, go back and find it. Search New York Times writer Carl Richards on That's What She Said. Uh, He had some really great insight on balance and remembering when and how you can say no. Um, And the best reminder for me when I find myself saying yes to speak to every class and mentor every aspiring sports writer and do every podcast and help with every charity is a Paolo Coelho quote, quote, which is when you say yes to others, make sure you are not saying no to yourself. And that can even be well-paying work. If you cannot make the time, you just have to be able to say no. Uh, So the quality of everything else you do, work and life and everything is better. So when you say yes to others, make sure you are not saying no to yourself. That's what she said. Hey everybody, hope you had an amazing long holiday weekend. We are now full-fledgedly into the Christmas season, which I am super pumped about. It is my absolute favorite. I got out the boxes and boxes of Christmas decorations, started after it. Uh, The tree comes a little later because we have a tradition to go cut it down ourselves with a saw out in the woods. Um, That's going to be in two weeks, but I did get a lot of the ornaments and other decorations up around the house and I'm getting ready for my annual viewings of all the classics, you know, national lampoons, Christmas and the holiday and elf and home alone, except Christmas story. Cause that is not my jam and I never got into it. And in the household that I'm in, uh, none of us really watched it or cared. Uh, meanwhile, spouses and, and others are confused as to why my family didn't gather on the television and talk about BB guns and, and rabbit suits and everything else, but just wasn't my thing. So my replacement is The Night Before, and I will continue to provide free promotion for this movie year after year after year, because it was an instant classic for me. It just came out a couple years ago, and it is so rare for me to see a movie these days, and it slips right into classic territory. But from the first watch I was in, I highly recommend The Night Before. Uh, it's you know Seth Rogen and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and it's so good. Watch the real version, not the edited for TV version, Okay. <laughs> Uh, All right. today's guest is Emmy Award winning Jason Concepcion, a.k.a. Network on social media, N-E-T-W-3-R-K. He's the executive producer of sports and culture at Crooked Media, uh, the podcast collective and company best known for faves like Pod Save America and Love It or Leave It. Uh, Jason joined fairly recently. His newish podcasts there include X-Ray Vision, which comes out every Friday, Take Line every Tuesday with friend of the show Renee Montgomery, And all caps NBA every Friday. We get into his childhood, uh, his long lost Long Island accent, his early career in music, pivoting to journalism and new media, how he was, quote unquote, discovered on Twitter, working with Grantland and The Ringer, and then his brave leap to something new. Uh, Enjoy the interview. Who's great? That's what she said. A recurring theme of late on this podcast in some recent episodes is to find people that I know via the internet and then learn more about them. Uh, And much like uh, my guest Ari Chambers, uh, much like um, people like Spencer Hall, uh, there are many people in the universe that I know solely or at one point knew solely as their Twitter name. And at network with a three instead of an E uh, is is one of those people that for the longest time I had no idea had a real name, thought maybe he was born and and gifted that name right on the birth certificate. But as it turns out, his name is Jason Concepcion. And uh, we're doing a home and home because I was just on his podcast, Take Line on Crooked, and and now here he is. And Jason, these are my favorite because I have such a fascination for people who I've engaged with for years on the internet and whose content I have constantly consumed predominantly on somewhere like Twitter where there aren't visual aspects to it. And then actually seeing like who they are, what their background is and how they matriculated to the internet. So I'm excited Uh, for this. I'm
1: excited for it as well. It's something I also enjoy meeting people through the internet. It's fun.
0: Yeah. I mean like your career is is because of the internet which is which is yeah. wild uh, we hate it so much and yet also <laughs> it, it can be super super productive and uh, and actually can can make you some some cash uh let's go back to the beginning where did sure. you grow up
1: uh new york long island queens in queens in new york city uh and then long island
0: what was the uh, high school of choice in
1: long island island trees Oh, I've uh, never heard of that one. Yeah, it's extremely, extremely small. I think its claim to fame is that Eddie Money went there.
0: Okay. okay. And, uh,
1: and that it was Jeez, like the outside of it. Yeah. <laughs> Twenty-one. It, it had a famous, uh, like, First Amendment case due to like banning library
0: books. Also. Wow. Okay. I don't think I've ever been to Long Island. Um, Wait, is the Hamptons on Long Island? Yes. Okay, yeah. The I have Hamptons been. Is, well, no. The Hamptons. <laughs> what an, Long- an asshole thing to say, by the way. Long- I Island definitely have never fish. been to Long Island unless that really rich part is part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in which right, case yeah. I've been there. Right. Uh, you
1: saw it on the most recent couple episodes of Succession. It's the Hamptons.
0: Oh. Yeah, the you Hamptons is I the tail was, of I guess. The fish. Okay. I just thought it was at the end of New York. I don't pay attention, clearly, to where I am at any given time. Um, But having gone to uh, college in upstate New York, uh, lots of Long Islanders and lots of different schools and areas that I have heard of, but that is a new one. Um, And you don't have a super strong accent. How did that happen? Uh,
1: This is funny. Actually, I get it back when I go back. When I go back and I'm talking to my brother, I was there with my girlfriend like before the pandemic popped off and she was like, who are you? What is this person? Like, where is this? (laughs) Did you just say... Oh, forget about it, but sincerely, you said that? <laughs> Did you just say busting busting balls, you said that, but like in a serious way? So it comes back, but it, um, I used to, I went to school for music. And when I was uh, like in high school, junior high school, I used to make these little tapes of just like songs and stuff, compositions and whatnot. And I made one that was like this little jazz intro, like this, you know, kind of jazz chords and the sound of like tinkling glasses and people eating. And then I I came on as like the MC was like, hey everybody, welcome to the club tonight. You know, it's the intro to this tape I was making. And it was like super strong Long Island accent. And I played it for uh, my music teacher. And he was like, this is really great. This is so creative. Just so you know, you do have the Long Island accent. It's really strong and it's fine. But just understand like as a choice, you want to know if you're making that choice or not Mm -hmm. making that choice. And Mm -hmm. so, and that was when that was like the matrix moment when I saw like the numbers coming down and I was like, Oh, (laughs) and then as soon as I'm going to do something about
0: this, (laughs) as soon as I went
1: to college, it kind of went away.
0: One of my best friends that I met out in LA was from Arkansas and did not have the accent. And I went home with her for her wedding and it was a whole different world. Her dad legitimately was saying how much he liked her soon to be husband and said, of like feeling okay that he was going to marry his daughter. Cause he loved his daughter so much. I wouldn't trade her for a coon dog, even if it treed and none of us had any <laughs> idea what it meant. And she had to take us like word by word. First yeah. of all, what did he say? What were the words? And then I guess the best kind of coon dog is willing to go up a tree for the prey that uh, you're hunting. Hence, uh, she would not be traded for such dog. Um. Anyway. So, so you're, you're on Long Island. You have the accent at the time. Uh, yeah you mentioned the music thing. Was that the obsession? Like uh, you're known for your binging. So what were you binging before that was the thing we talked about? Oh, was it yeah. music? I, was it sports? What was it? It was music and sports. I was mostly uh, like into music
1: I was a big reader, but that didn't seem like something that I was going to do professionally at the time. So, uh, I, I was really into music. I played guitar. I played in the jazz band at school and I ended up going to music school with the idea that I would do, uh like composition and film scoring, you know, like Nicholas Patel oh, awesome. uh, type type stuff. Hans Zimmer.
0: Yeah. Was this was the sports part of of life back then, or were you just more focused on the music? Oh, I was a huge huge uh,
1: Knicks fan, in particular New York sports, and with a Knicks focus.
0: It was a decent time to be a fan. You guys got very close many times. It was uh, it was painful.
1: <laughs> it, it was.
0: It was one of those things where... People you know, don't know your age. We'll just say uh, yeah. 90s. 90s yeah. NBA. If, and that should tell you all you need to know about why I'm laughing and he said things were painful.
1: That, that, here's the thing. It, that was my awakening as a sports fan. And so I missed the part of, you know, the previous Knicks uh, generation when they were bad, when they were really struggling. I, I just kind of like came into it, you know, Pat Riley is there and all of a sudden we're good. And I so from my perspective, I'm like, oh, we're good. We've just always kind of been good. And now we're knocking on the door. And then for the entire 90s, up to the early 2000s, the team is good. So that was my, my perspective was the Knicks are an elite team. We're good. We're knocking on the door. There's been some painful uh, losses, but we're always here and we're always good. Right. Uh, and, th- and that was not going to be the case for the next 20 years
0: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. yeah. You, you had no way of knowing that that was no. actually the best it was going to get um at least so far um okay so you're loving the Knicks. you're really into music um what did your parents do for a living
1: my mom uh, uh worked at uh, like a she's a lab technician for hospitals so she worked for like various hospitals, and then for the New York Blood Center for a while. And then uh, she transitioned out of that to basically like selling, being a sales rep for uh, a company that sold uh, like blood analyzing hardware.
0: Okay. That's very specific. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Was your dad around?
1: He passed away when I was young. And then my stepdad uh, was a NYPD detective
0: ooh, yeah was it as dramatic as it sounds
1: it, it was not that super dramatic all the time but there were moments of drama for sure and you know i would say that it definitely uh, colored the way i see uh, and engage with and interpret police officers certainly like you know uh, all the i'm gonna call him a bad apple right but right the you know he'd have his squad over for like barbecues in the summertime. Uh, and I would say that the, that the discourse was, was
0: problematic, if not bad. Right. Right. Interesting. That's, that is interesting to grow up with. And then obviously, um, as you get older, try to reconcile with what, what you're learning about the world and, and everything else. Um, were you close with your stepdad?
1: Uh, not really. Uh, I was pretty much like out on Long Island as a, like by middle school, which is about Whoa, when that's early <laughs> they started getting together. Yeah, I was like, I you know, I started a couple of visits to the city and just had always had a fascination with the city and kind of wanted to do more than was available on Long Island at the time. Yeah, and it wasn't. It was also like it was extremely a white neighborhood, so it uh, there was just like no one. It was just white people so i was always thinking okay i need to go where it's not just the white people who i love right. i love them to death but when there's so many of them it can be tough what's
0: your parents uh race or background they're from the philippines okay both of them
1: yeah and this was uh, at a time when nobody knew
0: you know in the 90s
1: in that era 80s like Nobody knew what uh, the Philippines was, you right? Like, right. Especially over there, it was like you were Chinese or Japanese, maybe.
0: Yeah. And but that was it. Not that anyone would ask, because it doesn't matter. Uh, they right. would sometimes <laughs> ask, like, "Where oh, are good. you from?" And I'd oh, be like, "The, the Philippines," and,
1: and they'd be like, "What is it?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, have you? This is a deep cut. My guess is the reference is going to go by you, but did you have? Um, did you have siblings? Because you're giving me New York Lonely Boy vibes from the show. No, 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 I have ever. <laughs>
1: Uh, good, good <laughs> a good song. Uh, good good theme song, great band. great. Yes. Uh, great show. So good. Um, watch
0: it now on Peacock. Okay, so real quick, if you haven't seen Girls 5 Eva on Peacock, you're probably confused about this conversation, Uh, but it's an awesome show. Sarah Bareilles and um, Busy Phillips and Paula Pell and and written by Tina Fey, it's it's fantastic. But in this episode, Sarah Bareilles' character is worried about not having another child if she reunites with her old band and then that would result in her son being an only child and not just an only child, but what her friend described as a New York lonely boy So here's a bit of the song from the show It's actually by the Milk Carton Kids um, And it accompanies this montage of young boys around New York In suits and eating sushi and uh, all this stuff It has a very distinct uh, Simon and Garfunkel feel Here's a little bit No brother or sister
1: Just one little
0: mister
1: He's just another New
0: York lonely boy New York lonely Answer are always spiffy. spiffy. Only sibling, sibling is the city. His playground is the lobby. lobby. Has a palette
1: for wasabi. The strand is his Disneyland.
0: He's just another New York home. So go watch the show. That episode is one that particularly stands out. Um, But after the first episode, it really starts singing. It has a real diehard uh, 30 Rock vibes because of Tina Fey's writing. Um, And if you are not yet convinced by that anecdote and that little clip, um, Google Girls 5 Eva I'm Afraid song. Cry, laugh, uh, and then start watching the show. It's really good. Okay, back to the interview. I have a brother. I have a brother. Okay. He is. So a you were nice. not a New York lonely boy. No, no, no. Uh, you just wanted to wander into the city on your own for other reasons. Okay, so you go to the Berkeley College of Music, which is a fantastic school. A great um, school. You wanted to, like you said, be a composer, work on movie scores. How long were you pursuing that as a career after college?
1: Uh, you know, in fits and starts. I guess for a while, like. So middle of my college career, I decided I wasn't playing live enough. It was all like composition. I was like, you're sitting, you know, with like a pen and a, and music notation paper and you're just mm-hmm. like composing stuff. I wanted to play with people more. So I started uh, playing in bands more. And then, so right after college, that was kind of the focus for a little while too. It was like, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll, I'll play in a band and then be like a, like a session Person like one of yeah. these people that uh, plays, you know, guitar keyboards on some commercial soundtrack or something, or you know, the backing band at SNL, something like that. Yeah, I would say that went for like six to eight years. It went for a while, honestly. It, and then it was just kind of a, hey, this isn't. I'm not making any money from this, so am I truly this person anymore? Yeah, but that that emerged over time,
0: which is an interesting thing, by the way, too. Um... The idea of tying your identity to whether or not you're getting paid for it. It it
1: really is. I mean, it's, you know, the world will make you take stock of things in ways that you don't anticipate.
0: I literally had a New Year's resolution that my taxes would say sports reporter instead of waitress. Because I was (laughs) like, I can tell people what I'm trying to do, but... I have to put on my taxes, the only thing I make money doing, right? Like, which is a wild kind of thing. It does, it does make you connect uh, who you are with what you do, which is um, a topic of great conversation more recently, I think, with all the people reexamining things due to the pandemic. So, okay, so you're a couple years in, it's not really what you had hoped, or maybe you're not getting a foothold the way you'd like. Is Twitter really how you ended up making a career out of analyzing culture and sports? Did it start with Twitter? I mean, basically,
1: yeah. I mean, the internet
0: helped in the
1: sense that, the internet just kind of like full stop helped because, you know, uh, the early 2000s was an era of, it was like blog 1.0. There were all these interesting blogs. Yeah. And all these new ways to kind of engage with sports content and pop culture content and just writing in general, it became, it came down from the mountains, so to speak. So there was uh, over time as I was reading various blogs, there was this kind of, I I was getting used to the idea that, oh, this is a thing that people do, whether or not they get paid for it, you can express yourself in writing and have it be out there, people will find it. I started a bunch of like blogs that never got anywhere, but like, so that was- Any of them have a
0: terrible name. No, none of them. Okay, mine was the very cleverly named K Sarah Sarah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> ah, I love it. You know, whatever will be will be.
0: Uh, That's right.
1: Uh, timeless wisdom. That's right. Uh, and but it really was, it really was uh, social media and Twitter in particular because there's just kind of a instant. You know, I it didn't. I I wasn't out there trying to tie 400 or even 200 words together. You know, it was like, a, yeah. it could be a sentence. So. Well,
0: and we talked about this on your podcast, Take Line, which everyone should go listen to. I talked about sort of... um getting rid of the gatekeepers, allowing other kinds of voices to penetrate if people are interested and receptive. And so if you don't have to first get approval from a program director at a radio station who wants to put you on the air or an editor at a paper who gives you a column or any of those traditional ways, you can just be good and compelling and enough people start listening and following and sharing that you create this marketplace within, I I guess I shouldn't say marketplace because if it's just Twitter, you're not getting paid, Uh, but you can create... um, you know a, a, a kind of chat room of your own around your own content um how did we come up with network n-e-t-w-3-r-k <laughs> uh, that is my uh it's my xbox live gamer tag <laughs>
1: <laughs> again any, any more uh,
0: specificity uh, on that and so it was my
1: xbox live gamer tag and it was like kind of like a a fragment of the name of a band that I was in and I just needed something I like so I've been an xbox live subscriber since like I don't know like 1999 whenever the first year they came up with the service was and I just couldn't think of anything else you know so I just like like okay let's throw this on there
0: okay I was hoping for a really deep deep uh, insightful take but just xbox all right we'll take it um so you start talking sports and pop culture. What is your job at that point when maybe not right oh, when you man. join Twitter, but when you're starting to see that people are interested in your opinions on these things, what are you making a living doing and where are you living? Oof. I was living in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and I was like a waiter slash like
1: shipping clerk. I was doing uh, shipping for a leather uh, company basically like taking leather from the factory and finished leather goods to the showroom and then packing orders up and then delivering them and, or or mailing them or taking them to the, to the post office. And I was working as a cater waiter, which was just kind of like part-time extra money stuff for a variety of companies. Like I had like three different ones that I was juggling because you never knew when, one a would have would a job, up. and yeah, yeah for and then sure. another would would have a job. Uh, but that so that was actually really good money, if you know, weird hours. But it would it would cut off pretty heavily, like by January, like after the New Year's kind of balls and stuff. Yeah. Like everything just kind of died for two months until you know what you know whatever else wedding season started again. Uh, so th- it was those two things primarily.
0: Did you start seeking out jobs as a result of the attention you were getting on Twitter or did someone come to you? Someone came to me. I mean, it was isn't that it, magical. It, isn't that, isn't that wonderful about the internet?
1: It was. So, you know, I could kind of feel that, um, over time, I could kind of sense that maybe something was happening. Like I was, uh, I know, I knew when Howard Beck, <laughs> then of the New York times followed me that, I was like, "Oh shit!" Like I read Howard Beck. This is pretty cool, right? Um, and a lot of like the, the early people that I was interacting with, who have since you know become my friends. Miles Brown is one of them. But they were they were all affiliated with Slam Magazine, which again is is, uh, is a periodical that I read a lot at the time. So I was like, "Oh, this is maybe there is like a realm in which I in which I can like have a job doing this." Um, but it, that that was like. You know that unfolded over the over the stretch of you know a few years, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half. Um, and this was at the time where ESPN was doing the the kind of True Hoop yeah. kind of thing, Henry Abbott's kind of like True Hoop federated collection of blogs, you know, throughout the the internet and kind of bringing them together under a under a banner and. So I started to get I was in touch with Henry a little bit and I was in touch with oh man I forget the guy's name now he is he was like the head of he was one of that top editors at ESPN digital who dealt with basketball and I forget his name now okay and he's probably oh sorry Royce Webb Royce Webb reached out and was like hey uh, you know I think you can write do you want to try and write a sample article so I like wrote like a 800 word piece on whatever the hell is going on, was going on at the time in like 2012. And it, you know, it didn't end up going anywhere, but it seemed like it would go somewhere. And then eventually I got uh, my first like paying opportunity was I got an opportunity to freelance for Deadspin. And at that point I'm like, I've made it. Like, I think I can do this, <laughs> I think. Or at least I felt like, you know, this will this will be pretty good. And then I did a couple more things, and then I got the opportunity to freelance for Grandland. And that was when I was, that was very exciting. But that unfolded over, this was all like took two years or so.
0: We'll get right back to the interview. But first, what is your favorite word? Sleep. Okay, there's a theme here, Jason. Can't get all the work in, your favorite word is sleep. I think you need a break or an assistant or something or someone to slap you on the back of the hand when you say yes to another thing you don't have time for. Um, All right. Sleep from before the 12th century, old English to be or fall asleep, be dormant or inactive Uh, from the old high German and perhaps Latin even to slip or slide. Um, Sleep, I will say no matter how busy I am, sleep is my main priority. It's the one thing I do not sacrifice because if I if I don't get my, you know, seven or eight hours, I am very unhappy. And so are the people around me. So prioritize your sleep, Jason. Don't make it just your favorite word. Speaking of great words,
1: you're going to learn today.
0: The word of the week is, in honor of winter and the falling temperatures and my dogs racing to the third floor sunroom when we open the bedroom door in the morning to go find their little patch of sunlight, it is the absolutely beautiful but equally obsolete word, apricity. Isn't that beautiful? Apricity. It means the warmth of the sun in winter. So per Webster's, quote, apricity appears to have entered our language in 1623 when Henry Cockram recorded or possibly invented it for his dictionary, the English Dictionary, or an interpreter of hard English words. Despite the fact that it is a delightful word for a delightful thing, it never quite caught on and will not be found in any modern dictionary aside from the Oxford English Dictionary, unquote. I say we bring it back because apricity is not only a lovely word, but a delightful thing. Uh, So in a sentence, snow crunched beneath her feet, but the apricity in large sections of the wood where treetops narrowed made for a pleasant walk. I feel like it's a word that Moira Rose would use, right? Doesn't it feel like she would somehow slip apricity into a sentence, confusing all? Apricity. Anyway, I love it. Let's bring it back. Now let's get back to the interview. So you end up at, at Grantland around like 2013, 2014, Mm -hmm. um, you're writing, working with Bill Simmons. This is a really cool, I mean, I think everybody admired and sort of was envious of the work being done at Grantland because it was either Mm -hmm. really thoughtful sports work or it was fun culture-based stuff. And, um, that, that shuttered and was it just an inevitability for you at least that you would end up making the move with, with Bill to the ringer? I mean, it's it seems like that now,
1: but it didn't feel like that then. So Grantland did shudder. Uh, that was I found out on Twitter. Ooh, I actually found out from a neighbor in my building who had seen it on Twitter. He was like, "Hey, sorry," and I was like, "What?"
0: And oh I my god! I saw that
1: they had, that they had, like, sorry I for what, what you have no job. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, okay. I forget exactly. <laughs> so I forget exactly what it was. I think that it was like Bill was either suspended or they were not going to. Yeah, like, I, I forget with with the actual wording of what statement was, but it was clear at that point. You know, even though I was kind of like a neophyte in the industry, what that meant, uh, and it was it was pretty shocking. And then just because of, I would imagine now having having gone around the block a few times. Looking back and uh, I can imagine, you know, the way that and the manner in which uh, The Ringer started, they couldn't come right out. So Bill left and or uh, they wouldn't pick up this contract. And then uh, some of the top editors at Grantland also uh, put in their notice and they went off to to found The Ringer. Now, it was like another eight or ten months before. I think the ringer even started and then they approached me so espn was very good about it they paid my contract for eight to nine months you know when i wasn't doing anything <laughs> i wasn't writing they just like let me yeah. they just paid me to do nothing which was fantastic yeah. uh very nice of them but you know i was looking at the time i was looking for some clarity from the folks who had gone over to start the ringer and i would imagine because of You know legal whatever they could never come right out and say hey we got you you're gonna be in on it it took until you know my contract was like two weeks from being done for them to be like so
0: were you looking around i mean you
1: had oh yeah i was looking around also just because
0: you know i I felt like
1: they would hire me but also when it's actually your ass and your rent you know it's like okay so i should look for other jobs too right because no one again no one had ever come to me there were certainly good signals, but no one ever came to me and was like, We're going to hire you. Don't, like, it's fine. Which, so I looked at some other
0: it's a lot easier for Bill Simmons to have 10 or whatever months of not technically being employed and up and running uh, than yeah. it is to. And certainly. For someone yeah. who's you
1: know, an employee and needs the paycheck. And certainly, so it was great that they were paying me, but also at that stage, you know, I wasn't putting out stuff. Uh, I had my Twitter account, I had my social media, but. Sound like I had pieces coming out. So it did feel a little bit like, you know, it was a little, it, it was certainly anxiety inducing. Yeah, it's like, well, sure. is, is this, do I go back to delivering the packages now? And then I, I started talking to a few different, uh, interviewing at a few different places. Um, so that made me feel a little better. Like, oh, uh, I can get a job. I can get another job in this. But you Maybe end up at sure. the
0: ringer and yeah. you you're, the big ones there, NBA desktop, binge mode, um, talk the Thrones after the Thrones. Um, let's talk NBA desktop because it's sure. such a fun show and it really birthed, obviously all caps NBA, your current show. There's a, there's a clear sort of through line there. How did you come up with the idea of, you know, breaking through whatever everybody really else was doing and saying about the NBA and making it the format where you're sort of in the corner and people can see changing images, videos, literally a doc that's almost like a, a new version of the rundown that you'd see on PTI or otherwise where'd the concept come from? Um, That was me and Jason Gallagher, who is now uh,
1: working with
0: uh, the old man and the three
1: guys, JJ Reddick and uh, Tommy Alter, and also doing some stuff at at Meadowlark. Just one of the true, like, great, talented human beings that uh, was at The Ringer at that time. And we were just, it was startup vibes at The Ringer. And they just, it was a time when they just needed stuff. You know, they needed stuff to put on the YouTube channel. They need stuff to go out on socials. They just needed content, content, content. So there was like an opening for us to just be like, hey, we did this thing, uh, what do you think? So we just kind of piloted it on our own. The idea was basically uh, what if we did something like, uh, that was like PTI-like, a rundown show, uh, crossed with, you know, like best week ever and uh and the soup. Uh but through the lens of the internet so that you're you know, like you know when you're talking to somebody and they're like, Have you seen that thing? Oh I gotta show it to you and they take out their phone and they show it to right. you. Right. So Pull it'd be it like up. that. But yeah. on the but on the desktop where it's like, Oh, you gotta see this thing. Uh, and so that became that became like the kind of inspiration and it's funny to watch we have the Jason and I watched the first one, the pilot that never went out, but it's a lot of the elements are there. The pacing is not quite there. And you know, other, some of the segment stuff is not quite there, but the energy and, and uh, of the thing is there. And we showed it to Bill uh, and Bill was like, this is great. Let's put this out. And we're like, okay, no, 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 don't put (laughs) this one out. Let us do, let us do a real one. uh, And you know, can we steal an editor and stuff to help us do it? And then, um, and then we'll put it out and they they let us do it
0: yeah uh ended up going on to win an emmy which is awesome uh outstanding really digital crazy. innovation um, if people did not watch NBA Desktop when uh, when Jason was with The Ringer, go check it out. You can still see tons of episodes on YouTube and kind of see the idea. Um, the creativity is just interesting and different, and it, was, it got tons of viewers, and people were super into it. Um, you also did a really popular podcast called Binge Mode. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about sort of how you got into that, because that's one of those things that for a certain kind of person, they can't imagine a better job than watching a show they love, and then their job is just to talk about it. <laughs>
1: Uh, it's pre- it's it's really great, and I am always appreciative of, of that. I so I was living in New York, and I had made the decision, having seen how Grantland kind of worked, and having been out to LA a couple times to visit, um, which, by the way, was eye opening in a lot of different ways because I was so new to the industry. You know, you have this perception of like sports. It just shows like how um, how good a lot of these outlets are at their jobs, like I had this perception of Grantland, oh, it's going to be like people swinging from the rafters. It's going to be fun, fun, fun all the time. Like (laughs) when we talk about the Karate Kid when we get in there, they're going to be breaking boards. And it was like dead quiet. It was at LA Live, like in this like shunted off office, off of the ESPN offices, and it was just dead in there. Um, But I had been out enough to know that if you were close to the people that were calling the shots there, then you just had like a little bit more of an opportunity than if I was working remote, you know, three thousand miles away. So when the ringer started up, I thought, okay, I I, I wanted, I got to make the move at some point. So I made the move, and literally the next day, uh, we started recording binge mode. We had the meeting for it uh, the day I arrived, I think, and then we started doing it the very next day. And it was it was an idea.
0: Listen, tell them you know your co-host, uh, sure. your, your topics, like what what made it different and special.
1: So it started as I think it was Bill's idea to start, which was, "Hey, Game of Thrones season I want to say it was season six is coming, right? Let's do a podcast where that covers every single episode of Game of Thrones uh, up to the season six, uh, like release." so that people can like do a complete rewatch with a listening along with a podcast yeah. and it was really a great idea and i think it like has been extremely influential across podcasts and i think what really what made it good was just mal maly rubin my co-host our chemistry and just our how our chemistry on mic and our chemistry in terms of like how hard we wanted to work on the material and how hard we wanted to you know just like how much respect we wanted to have for the material and for the fans yeah because we're fans of you know fantasy and sci-fi stuff too i understand like how important it is to people so i really and and in addition to that we were kind of late to the game you know there were other game of thrones the season six there are other game of thrones pods or other game of thrones youtube channels. there's a lot of stuff out there's a lot of people that have been writing about it talking about it thinking about it on the internet you know, since the since the books have been being published, so for a long time, so we wanted to be uh, respectful of that like ongoing community and think about okay, how can we put our own stamp on it? And that like just kind of emerged over time because we had just great chemistry in the way we wanted to talk about stuff.
0: Yeah, so it ended up being about not just Game of Thrones, but you talked Harry Potter and Star Wars, mm-hmm. and the uh, MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, this was a really successful pairing. It felt like it, it felt yeah. like network slash Jason Concepcion and the ringer uh, was a not forever marriage. Cause nothing's forever on the internet nothing's or in this far. business where everything is constantly changing. But I was surprised that you were ending the shows and mm-hmm. leaving. What was the impetus for the decision to leave it? Did you already have that next move planned or not yet?
1: Uh, I mean, I think that the, the experience
0: of Grantland,
1: um, and the kind of like year not doing anything though, getting paid again, and kind of dipping my toe in the waters of media taught me an important lesson that I carry through today, which is just never get caught without a, a life raft, just don't mm-hmm. let it happen. Next time, you know, it, every sports media, media in general, digital media is crazy, it changes all the time. Like, there's companies that rise and fall and get bought and it just happens constantly and you have to have an out. So I had, while I had always, you know, I I loved working the Ringer. I wanted to continue doing it. I wanted to do binge mode. Um, I I was also like, okay, I just need to, I don't want to walk into any contract negotiation where it's like, I just want, Hey guys, I just want to work here forever. Right. Pay me, pay me money. Uh, you know, because it just won't, that's not like how it works. So I'd been looking at other stuff and thinking about what a life post ringer would be um, and had those discussions. We got bought by Spotify, continued to have those discussions, didn't come to really any agreement. And so then I uh, eventually d- just decided to leave. I was kind of, they offered me like a retention agreement. When they first got bought by Spotify, I never signed it. Um, and then about 10 or 11 months later, I, I left.
0: Interesting. So it kind of was, it wasn't really mutual, but there wasn't a, uh, this incredible overture that made you feel maybe valued in the way you wanted, either monetarily or otherwise? Isn't that, I mean, it's always people ask, why did you leave? And what, why do,
1: Why does anybody leave a job? It's always the same kind of reason. And It's a lottery uh, usually, I think.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, win the lottery yeah. and then quit your job. I think I'm, that's yeah, that's what we always imagine. Are,
1: my parents are, <laughs> Never are work again. Uh, independently wealthy and they've yes, left me exactly. a, a tranche of cash. <laughs> you know, I think that they're, having been around uh, different startups and knowing people who work at different places that are, you know, different companies that are at different stages of their life cycle. There's yeah. a thing that kind of happens, I think, in companies that start, which is, you come on and maybe as you are kind of like growing in your career, the people around you are kind of always see you as the thing you were hired as. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and maybe they're even incentivized to, so you to felt stagnant
0: in a way because of that.
1: I, I wouldn't say stagnant, but I felt like, I felt like I could do more and I wanted to do more Yeah, and that, um, you know, whether it's money or a title or some other kind of like production responsibilities, I felt like there was more I could do. Uh, And it didn't feel like that was going to be a thing that was possible. So, you know, while my contract was, uh, while my retention deal was like on sign, I just was looking around, looking around, looking around. And I I thought, okay, it wasn't an easy decision, but I thought, okay, I can, I think if I leave, I can, I can make some stuff happen so that was it happens that happens a lot in this
0: business with people who want to be on air and if they're working behind the scenes they're sort of told you probably have to go elsewhere if you want to make the switch because people already yeah. see you as that kind of worker so how long after you decided to part ways did the crooked opportunity come up
1: uh i i would say like it was over the course of a couple of months you know yeah. i thought that it would take a while whatever emerged but that, I was—I had felt good enough and just kind of like checking around—that I thought I could either get a good job or cobble together enough stuff where I'd be okay. Um, and so it took—it took a couple of
0: months for that to emerge. And I'm a huge Crooked fan. I've, you know, Pod Save America, um, Love It or Leave It, um, mm-hmm. Friends Like so These. Like, there's, there's, you know, yeah. there's so many different uh, podcasts. I, I have to admit, I've been less. Uh, obsessive of late because I needed to take a break um, I understand when <laughs> every, and I'm sure they're I'm sure they're they're experiencing that across across mm-hmm. the board there because it was it did feel like every day there was some absurd over the top unbelievable thing that you just couldn't wrap your head around or that infuriated you or scared the hell out of you yeah. for a, a while during the last presidency and so it felt like I needed to listen every episode to make sure I knew what the hell was going on and now I'm like I just need a little break from worrying about that because there's all this other shit I'm really worried about um so were you a big listener to any of their outlets before that that opportunity came up
1: yeah what a day uh keep it love or leave it those were my big ones what a day was is great what a Day continues to be great it's a great product uh it's the perfect like what happened today that i need to be aware of kind of pod
0: and so when they reach out to you what was their pitch and what did they initially did they have an idea for you already
1: I mean I think it was it was kind of it was more of a like an ongoing conversation about you know what was possible what what I want to do so they did have a kind of pitch and there was some alignment certainly of ideas and goals certainly as you mentioned you know in a kind of like post Trump and hopefully it stays post you know forever but in a post Trump like political landscape you know I think this is you know not just because it resulted in them hiring me, but I think in general it was a wise decision to think okay what what else like how do we diversify so I think I was part of that um, and I was happy to happy to do that it seemed like it would it would work well
0: Did it feel like you were aligned with them already in terms of uh what kind of content you wanted to make? Did it feel like an easy transition from what you'd already been doing or was there a pretty big difference between say the editorial board or the expectation of what would be representative of that company versus say the ringer?
1: No, I think it was pretty, it was actually pretty easy. Um, I think what was, what was hard and what continues to be not hard, but just like you learn every day is like, now that I'm taking responsibility more for the content I produce, like, You know, from a top-down perspective in terms of, like, producing it and talking to the engineers about, like, the nuts and bolts of things, um, that is the part of it that has been uh, a learning experience and really a great learning experience, just to learn that side of it.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I find that's interesting is when you're coming up and you're maybe somewhere with fewer rules or less accountability. You have the ease of creating content, uh, maybe where you're like you're you're using sound or video that's not cleared because yeah. no one notices, or you're getting to make yes. jokes and content that you don't really have to answer to because there's not that many people paying attention. And then you get somewhere like an ESPN in my case, or like Crooked, where you know you got to get it right first of all yeah, that's the most right. important you have to get it right but then also there are people watching and paying attention if you're not you know using or crediting the places where you're getting content mm-hmm. from or that kind of thing and they both have their benefits obviously one is you know funded and resourced and the other isn't but there is that like wild wild west feel of starting out and then later you're like oh shit i like yeah. i'm tr- i'm a trusted source now
1: yeah there are rules to this
0: and that has been I'd love to hear from
1: you about this, but it's, it's been, that part of it has been a weird adjustment for sure. Like, you know, my last, I don't know, couple of years at the ringer, we started to get interns who would be like, you're the reason I came, you, know, you and yeah. Shay. You yeah, know, I've been watching you since I, I was in
0: high school. I'm like, yeah. ew. Uh, and <laughs> so I'd be
1: like, that, I, that is just like a completely, that is a perspective shift that is um, hard to internalize and understand because you, you know you're just like still trying to figure it out you know like uh, but that has been a thing that has been uh, it's I'm continuing to adjust to that to that reality but, but you're absolutely right like it's easier like i said when we were at the ringer starting nba desktop Jason Gallagher and i we talked often the last year that we were at the ringer together that if we had come to them with nba desktop like in 2018 or something 2019 they would have said no. They would have been like, no. We have this. We have X, Y, Z coming down the pipe. Right. And we have, we, you know, we we just contacted this person about doing this thing. It's it would not fit with what they were doing. It just so happened that we came along in a moment where they needed stuff, you know. And 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 I don't. You just have to get fortunate sometimes, like binge mode. I. A lot of the success of Binge Mode, obviously, is like the chemistry and how hard Mallory and I worked. But I think also the fact that she's a stakeholder in that company gave us some latitude that if I was like, oh, it's me and someone else who is just an employee or a staff writer at uh, The Ringer, it maybe wouldn't have got the push. You know what I mean? So you just kind of have to get lucky with these kind of structural things sometimes.
0: Yeah. I mean, what's fascinating is becoming the like old guard um, and yeah. also when you get established enough, you mentioned this with the dilemma, like I feel like I have so many ideas and zero time to pursue any of them. Um, which is good in some ways. Cause that means I have many jobs and I'm very busy and I'm already successful in a way that I, I was always hoping to be. But back in the day, if something kind of niggled at me and I thought it would be cool, I would give it a shot. And now I can't yeah. do that. And, the, and that's what these young people are doing with like new media and, and new approaches to things. And so it's like, do you try to compete with that or hang on to what, you, what you're doing or, or do a little bit of both? And I wonder being on, you know, just the internet side, no linear TV or terrestrial radio or whatever, if you feel even more pressure to to try to make sure you're keeping up. Uh,
1: yeah, for sure. I, there's just like so much stuff happening and, the, and the, the way the shape of conversations on the internet changes all the time i'm on social media like just you know imbibing content all the time which is probably unhealthy but i think helps in the sense that like i understand like how conversations take place on the internet but i i feel the same kind of of pressure of like oh i'd like to do this but there's really no lane for me to do this uh, although like the you know the, the point i'm at now is where I would just love to help other people do projects that are cool. Like I don't need to, I don't need to be in the thing. But like, oh, how can I help you do it? Um, because again, I like the same as you. I don't have time to do a lot of the stuff. And it's also a different. You know, people look at us and they're like, "Oh, you guys made it." <laughs> Sarah Spain, you're on ESPN Radio. You're on uh, Around the Horn. You've like made it. You've got like multiple podcasts. You've like done it. Uh, people look at me similar in a similar fashion. Like, how do I, I'm trying to pitch this thing. How do I get it made? I'm like, you know, it's like 98% of the things I pitch, they say no to. Nobody right. says no. To. Like, I don't get stuff made. I don't have any polls. Right. Like, I have a job right now and, and people will take a meeting with me. They'll listen to me. But no one will, if I have a a project from ground zero that I want to get to, like, uh, you know, ground 60 or whatever, nobody's, there's very few takers uh, when I'm trying to do that. Like, it's, Are you it's, trying to do it's that? still hard. I mean, yeah. I've got like different irons in the fire, so to speak. But in terms of just, you know, if I was to pitch whatever, like a whole new all caps NBA to somebody, it, like that's still hard. It's still hard yeah. to do that. People ask like, how do I, how do we do this? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it's just hard. I, the way to do it, I found, or at least it, what worked for me at The Ringer is, find people who are, whenever you pitch up, whenever you pitch to a manager, an editor, who what have you, uh, if they say no, that's kind of it. You're dead. Right? right. But if you talk to the people around you who are like at your level and have similar aspirations, a lot of times you can collaborate and make something really interesting and cool. And now you've kind of like pushed it 20, 30 yards down the field. And now if you bring it to an editor or a manager and say, Hey, look at this thing we have been working on. Now you've kind of got proof of concept and you've shown yeah. that you can, that you willing to work on it. Maybe they're more likely to say yes, but that's,
0: I think that's of Jamel only. Hill and Michael Smith with that because yeah. they worked adjacent to each other at ESPN and then they really enjoyed working with each other and created a podcast kind of show together um, just to be able to to show it to the to the network, which then led to you know numbers never lie and his and hers and, yeah. and the six and everything else. You gotta sort of do it now to have people yes. buy it more so than just have the idea, which is again uh takes you back to like, don't have time. I don't have time to do another job that's not even a job yet um talk about working with renee montgomery she has been on this podcast i'm a huge fan she's just a really dynamic and fascinating person was there an instant connection there uh when you guys realized that the the take line would be the show you did together uh yeah for sure we had done a couple of tests and it was like oh
1: she's just good at this you know it it was one of those things where whether or not she ended up being the co-host of the thing it was quite clear that renee was gonna be fine <laughs> like she's getting right she's got a lot going anybody. on she's got a lot going on she's very talented very good at what she does super smart incredibly engaging she's gonna be great um so yeah I mean when people have personality and are smart they're fun to talk to
0: and for you guys tell. it was just that was it just you yeah a we could do right away we did and you have the tests. same ideas about the show now as you're as you're in it
1: uh yeah it see pretty much it's gotten easier in the sense of you know just more reps more chemistry you understand what what kind of like you can fall back on i understand like what kind of topics uh, she feels strongly about you know after doing it for a while you can make fun of each other a little bit so it's 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 been easier if anything now
0: yeah. I, you know, one of the interesting things about people who began on the internet and continued to do their work on the internet is to watch them evolve with the space. And, um, you know, Drew McGarry's a guy that I, it, I've i yeah. had on the podcast, who's really interesting because he revisits his early stuff with um, Kissing Susie Colber and with Leather and Deadspin and that whole mm-hmm. early blogosphere that was so, you know, old boys club kind of fratty vibe. Um, and then, you know, how he's turned into a, a an adult man who has very different <laughs> thoughts on similar things and, you know, engages with people differently now that he has the perspective of age and, and empathy and all these other things. Um, do you feel like you're the same person um, for the most part as you were? Or do you go back and look at old takes? You're known for your takes. So like, do you go back yeah. and look at old takes and and cringe a lot or 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 wonder like how you changed sort of gradually without even realizing it?
1: Yeah, I think that I have, I mean, obviously, you know, people change. And I think that it's been, it's been a chaotic and, you know, often stressful year in, in the world for, or, you know, two years really in the world. And uh, that has been reflected in the way that conversations take place on the internet and the way that like I'm doing content. I think that there's not too much I cringe over Although I, I do, I mean, I watch with interest, the kind of like conversations around cancel culture and wokeness, and I just feel like I'm always trying to listen to people, I would say, more than anything, like, I I like to try to listen to what people have to say, and, and especially if there are people who feel like, you know what, nobody's listening to what we have to say. Um, I just try to listen to those voices, you know, like, especially if, if it's something about an experience and you're reading and or hearing and or watching people who have like a particular lived experience. Um, you know, I think that that is, it's just, uh, I think that's just important. For instance, uh, I registered my pronouns when I logged into Squadcast here. Yeah. Uh, and that is a thing that happens more and more in different places now, certainly over the last, I'd say three years and just engaging with people from the trans community understanding like why that's important why things like that are important uh it just changes your outlook when you hear how like what people what their lives are like
0: i mean that's the big thing that everybody wants to get across and somehow the people who most need to uh, be around and interact with people who are other or different from them, um, are maybe the least likely to do it or to recognize that, um, which is hard. Um, but yeah, I do think that's another eventual potential benefit of the internet is how it opens up other people's worlds and lives uh, all the way across the globe. Um, and you can see in here, I, I remember seeing there was a TikTok star that was, um, from like a remote village in the middle mm. of Africa and, and started, you know, using TikTok to explain people what her life was like and um, that kind of stuff and being able to actually see people and understand them as fellow human beings who are very similar is pretty wild um, when used properly <laughs> and with, yeah. and with a, with a, you know, understanding of the power that it has um, unfortunately also uh, causes a lot of uh, terrible, awful shit, which is also what we're witnessing it right does, now. It yeah. <laughs> absolutely
1: does do that. And, uh, and it, I grapple with that daily uh, yeah. about how we are possibly going to um, like just transition into this, into whatever comes next with all the uh, social media stuff, amplifying various uh, messages across the board.
0: Yeah. It's scary. Um, And, uh, and I wonder, do you look ahead um, to what's next in terms of how content is made or, or digested? Are you making yourself care about what the next thing is or are you content to make what you make within the now and then adjust when necessary? I'm always thinking about like
1: the way the, visual language of storytelling changes, whether it's through, you know, Instagram or TikTok or Twitch or eSports, just like the way stories are told changes from the medium, but essentially, like basically the basic level, all of this stuff is, it's just like, are you connecting with people and are you giving them new information? You know, right. like, so are you entertaining? And are you informative to them? Yeah. Uh, and that's basically it. So it's like, I I always just try and lean on those two things. Even, you know, for something as silly as all caps, we have this segment called uh, Anal ASMR, which is a combination of like, it's like a, a wonk analysis segment, right? Where we discuss, uh, you know, a kind of a, a real sports conversation, but we do it... Uh, in a kind of ASMR setting where we whisper and make like <laughs> sounds into very powerful mics. But like we're you know, that's basically just we're just in I'm informing you about like a whatever the particular topic is, but we're doing it in a funny way. And so like that is I feel like whatever whatever changes happen because of format and and platform, whatever those aesthetic things are, at the core of it, you're entertaining people and you're giving them new information. And if you can do those two things in, a, in some kind of measure, then you will have some level of success,
0: Yeah, hopefully. Agreed. All right, before I let you go, you have to do the one thing that everybody does and nobody expects. Didn't expect the kind of Spanish Inquisition. The Spanish Inquisition is part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. <laughs> expects the spanish inquisition <laughs> it's the spanish inquisition number one your current career is canceled what job do you do instead oh my gosh
1: i don't know my current career is canceled what is okay wait so specifically what is my current career um anything involving sports culture or media i guess i'd like try to write for i try to transition full-time so you to have being, like, no skills writer except something. for writing I mean, I can, (laughs) I I can go back to the waitering. I was very, there you go.
0: There you go. Uh, number two, what's the most scared you've ever been? I mean,
1: in, in a moment, gosh, I thought that, uh, I thought my plane was going to crash once I was, we were pulling into somewhere in, uh, Tennessee and it was one of the smaller kind of commuter planes and we were banking as we were coming in for landing and the, and the, uh, attendant was like making sure all the overheads were closed and as they were right next to me i was on the aisle as they were right next to me we hit like some kind of air pocket or something and the plane dropped you know one of those things where it just like, seems to drop like 50 feet quickly and the the <laughs> the attendant went what the f-? <laughs> In a really scared way yeah and so i got very scared i was like we're going
0: down. This is this, this That is, is what they always say. Like look around and if the people working on the plane seems super scared, you're screwed. If they're yes. okay, everything's still good. Yes. Um number 3, you could be the best in the world at one thing for one day. What is it?
1: Playing piano.
0: Okay. That's a good one. Do you yeah. do you play anything other than a uh, guitar? Yeah, I play piano. I play, you know, I
1: play various like MIDI controllers for making songs and stuff like that. But I'd love to be really good at the piano.
0: Yeah. Uh, number four, what current celebrity, music, politics, TV, sports, whatever, would you most like to be your best friend? My best friend? Yeah.
1: <sighs> My best friend. Wow. That's so good. Mm, I guess I would say... Thesis and Marrow,
0: can I say that? Because mm. they yeah. count as, like. One, I think they're like a package thing? deal. Yeah, they would be a deal. lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I've hung out with them at times, but they're just like those are two guys. When you're around them, where you're like, I get, yeah, I get it. Like you guys, yeah. just let them go. Just I'm yeah, happy, like, you, you don't have to do anything.
0: Film whatever they're talking <laughs> yeah. about because they're you. You so would probably talented. have to do a fair bit of babysitting for Marrow's brood if you were his best friend, yes. but comes with the comes with the deal. Yeah. It's all right uh number five what's your biggest most meaningless pet peeve my biggest uh i i got a lot of heat recently
1: on the internet for a take i have about pasta i think that there's too much pasta i think there's too much i think there's too many pasta shapes i think they have wow i don't get where all the names come from why well, is are um, there Italy too, mostly i get it but like why is one shape identical to another shape but it's a completely different name because it's from a different village, a different city, like I, whatever it is, we need to scale that down and just have like a lot less pasta shapes.
0: That's all. I uh, yeah, I firmly disagree with that um, okay. because I don't well, think listen, anyone's hurt by having more pasta. I guess that. Is it that. paralysis just... of choice? Do you struggle to choose a pasta because there are too many? How are you negatively affected by the number of pastas? When I go
1: to an Italian restaurant and they have, you know, uh, let's just look, let me look up types of pasta right now yeah. uh, and they have say uh, tortiglione right and I'm looking at this and I say one it's like I want to make sure I pronounce it correctly because it would be embarrassing if I don't you know there's that slight embarrassment cost and then uh, and then I look it up and tortiglione is just penne but with a with a less sharp angled cut on the end or rigatoni, mm-hmm. but I guess a little
0: smaller. So, like, yeah. what are
1: we doing again? Yeah. Like, if it's identical to
0: rigatoni, what are we doing? It sounds to me like it's your own um, lack of attention to detail and inability to pronounce things. That's really at the at the core of this issue, and those are you problems, not pasta's I, I, problems. I, 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 you asked I me what
1: my, yeah, my most meaningful It meant is. To it with. is.
0: You nailed I it. it. <laughs> you, you nailed it. Although, if you have any power to lessen the number of pastas, I will be sad. So, I hope you keep the take solely to the internet. Uh, like real talk, I don't think you'd notice. There's so many. You're, it's, you're right. You're right. You're right. Just leave me the leave me bow tie. I love me some bow tie pasta. That's my <laughs> jam. Just like bow tie or like a big shell, big shell. Ah, uh, number six. What's the most embarrassed you've ever been?
1: Uh, I wore two different shoes to middle school once, and then oh. I had to play it off like I meant to do it, like I was trying to start something. You know, trying to start were they a very thing. different? Yeah, it was like okay. a Andre Agassi tennis shoe and like a <laughs> like a, yeah. so it was like called very colorful, but white. And then like a Reebok, <laughs> some Reebok hype, like Reebok basketball shoe.
0: Now, did you start something? No,
1: absolutely no, not. No I got gone. dressed
0: in the dark and I was very, very that, Yeah, and I was gonna say, act. I did that very recently, but it was a couple of years ago. It was like two Chucks, but they were just different colors. Same kind of <laughs> shoe though. And I got to work and I was like, well, uh, I also once had a pair of underwear in the hood of my sweatshirt from the laundry and a woman on the train. <laughs> like tapped me and was like, excuse me, you have underwear in your hood. And I'm like, what? Uh, I'm glad I don't have to wake up early and get on a train in the morning anymore because yeah, you're getting ready in the dark. You're exhausted. Yeah. Then you're all of a sudden around a lot of people and you haven't yeah. really given yourself a good look yet or your shoes. Uh, number seven, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve?
1: I'd most like to improve. I guess like my work-life balance, does that count?
0: Yeah, this is a theme for you. Are you okay? Do you need help? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm Do you, need, I'm just, do you need I'm a fine. secretary or an assistant or I'm fine. A, a forced break or vacation? I did I recently
1: uh, took a mild vacation Good. to Palm Desert and it was great. Lovely.
0: Do I need to talk to the folks over at Crooked? Do I need to give no, it's I need not to show that. up it, at someone's door and it's you really know, just flash my the muscle?
1: Thing. It's really just my own thing, you know. I like I said, that you know, finding out that you got
0: fired on Twitter. Yeah. I don't ever <laughs> want it pretty, to happen again. And the so hustle will every, forever be there. That's right. I'm doing everything I can to, to make sure it never happens again. Oh gosh. Uh, number eight, any musician or band alive or dead can play your next party. Who is it? Oh,
1: wow. Uh, great question. I musician live or dead. I've always been a big fan. Cause my dad loved them of the band or even the Beatles, but like, let's go with, uh, Current, there's a guitar player, he's a session guy, backs up people a lot, LA based, but I think Brazilian. His name is Mate Usado. Okay, um, and you can find him on TikTok or Instagram. And he's so good that I'm glad I don't play anymore because <laughs> it, it's actually nuts, like, yeah, is. yeah,
0: yeah. That's like sometimes when you read someone else's writing and you're like, I should stop, huh? I should just, yeah, what am I doing here? I hate uh, Number nine. What would you consider your biggest failure? Oh, I guess like just maybe
1: not really understanding how this business works earlier than I decided to try and figure out how to understand how it works. Because you know, as you as you know well know, nobody teaches you how to do any of this stuff. No, like there's no. no. You may get lucky in that you'll meet people who are willing to mentor you in in ways large and small but there's no roadmap. There's no, here's how it's done. Here's what you need to do. Here's how to structure your day, you know, like none of that. So I guess just like trying to figure out how to, trying to be more, I wish I'd been more mindful of how this business works earlier.
0: Would it have changed a lot of what happened for you and to you, you think? Uh, I think maybe, maybe it yeah. might have. Yeah, I,
1: I would have played hardball at different moments. Interesting. You know.
0: Yeah. Uh, finally, number 10, what three individual words would you most hope that people would use to describe you?
1: Oh man, I, this is, I'm bad at this. Um,
0: hope, basically like uh, yeah, um, like this is like your ideal tombstone would have these three words. This is how other people would see you. Best case scenario. Uh, a,
1: a funny, nice, smart
0: person, funny, nice and smart. Yeah. Simple, but effective. It. Yeah. Uh, bonus question: Who should I have on this podcast? Who's someone I would find interesting from literally any wow. industry?
1: Wow. Oh,
0: this is a great question. Have you had Shay Serrano on this? I,
1: think I have. A- I Shay Serrano is a perfect person to have
0: on. This. He is a great person on this. Fascinating life story. Have you had uh, Have you had Josh Gondelman on this? No, but I have recently, in the last few months, been more a part of Josh Gondelman's uh, general. Uh, circle slash area on the internet. And I'm a fan. That is a good choice. That is someone I should reach out to.
1: That's a great one. Have you had, uh, have you had, you know, my co-host Mallory Rubin, I think would be a great person. Okay. I've not had Mallory on, uh, one of the most hardworking, insanely hardworking people in, in the universe. Love that. Uh, have you had Jen Statsky, who's the, um, She's, no. the crew. She's wrote on a lot of TV. Yeah, but Hacks. Hacks right? and is the co-creator of Hacks.
0: Yes. I no, I, a, a, I am ai am a time follower Clippers of fan. Big time Clippers okay. fan. Okay, good. She's on the list as well. These are all very good. These are very helpful. Mike Schur? Uh, that's uh a, that's Mike Schur's been cool. on a couple of times. He's a okay, friend of the show. Friend of the show. I love it. Um but Jen's Jen's a good one. Yeah. These are good ones. I mean, I love that you just gave me all the internet people too. Like, I mean, yeah, I know that I know. they have lives yeah. outside of it, but that's like how I operate too. It's like people who are in my internet spaces. Um, yeah. It was so fun to pick your brain and get to know you more. Um, I look forward to uh, seeing what you do next, even though I'm not trying to kick you out of anything you're currently doing, especially because <laughs> you seem very you know stressed about just completing that. So I'm not giving you <laughs> any new work, but, uh, but thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Sarah. It was, it was a delight. That's what she said. Oh, yeah. One more thing. This is a place for rants, raves and everything in between complaints, things you should listen to, watch, read, etc. Whatever's on my mind, really. And today, what's on my mind is Stephen Sondheim, the legendary composer and lyricist who is responsible for so many of the beloved musicals in American history. Uh, A teacher, a mentor, an inspiration to so many His letters to people who went to his shows, to young artists, composers, singers are the thing of legend. Uh, And he died this weekend at the age of 91. So I want you to listen to his music. You can go to Spotify or whatever and type in his name and you'll get all sorts of songs. I want you to read his book, Finishing the Hat. I want you to watch his shows. For instance, you can watch all of Sunday in the Park with George on YouTube, the full show. Mandy Patink and Bernadette Peters it's so good if you have not seen it or even if you have and you haven't seen it in a while or even if you have and you saw it yesterday watch it again it's so good take the two hours or whatever it is Sunday in the Park with George if you google it on YouTube full show you can find the whole show so watch it it's worth it you can always tweet me at Sarah Spain if you've got guest suggestions questions or more and you should always go to the iTunes or podcast app subscribe to that's what she said with Sarah Spain rate it five stars please and give it a review. Thanks as always for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said.